This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg following letter, we don't see a real, it's hard to figure out the connection between part two and part one. We talk about two different things altogether. Part one, Dr. Rebbe discusses the, why his position is that really Hasidim should not come and ask a Rebbe about the material welfare, the material well-being. And um, this letter discusses something else entirely. So why did the sons of the Alter Rebbe later, after it was published, add this letter as a part two, as a sequel to letter number one? It's not apparent what the connection is. The only possible connection is the opening line of this letter. The opening line of this letter and the opening line of part one, which was actually not published in the Tanya, but in the letter itself, which we read last, last week. We read some of the letter or last time. Alter Rebbe is complaining how busy he is and how it's become humanly impossible for one person, for the Rebbe, to see everyone privately and individually and answer all the questions and here the Alter Rebbe starts out the letter with a similar, in a similar vein. He's become so busy that it's impossible for him to give the time that's necessary for each and every individual, for personal attention. Everyone wanted a piece of the Alter Rebbe himself, and he said it's just not possible, humanly possible, which is, by the way, why the Alter Rebbe wrote the Tanya. Alter Rebbe says, you want me, a piece of me? You have the whole of me. <laughs> Learn the Tanya. It's the equivalent of you having a private audience with me. You know, once the, uh, the Rebbe, when the times of the previous Rebbe, used to uh, write letters very close to an individual. He used to write letters, exchange letters. Once the Rebbe became Rebbe, he, uh, those letters stopped. And instead, the Rebbe would send him the general letters. Before the holiday, the Rebbe would write a general letter addressing the Jewish people, Klal Yisrael, whoever they are. So before Pesach, or before Shavuot, before special holidays, special occasions for the New Year, and sometimes on other occasions, the Rebbe would write a letter, to my brothers, the whole Jewish people. And the Rebbe would send them these letters, and the, uh, this individual felt very slighted. You got copies of the letters? Public letters, everyone has copies. They're all okay. published. I, Every, they're I, I published. But this individual, so the Rebbe would send him also a copy of his letter. This person that he used to correspond with before he became Rebbe. And he, he felt very slighted. Here he had a personal relationship with the Rebbe, and now all of a sudden he's getting these impersonal letters that the Rebbe is writing to everyone, to the whole Jewish, addressing the whole Jewish people. 
felt that he lost that personal connection. He wrote that he wasn't shy. He wrote to the Rebbe that he feels, uh, you know, what happened to that relationship. He feels that his relationship has been degraded <laughs> instead of upgraded. He went from first class, he went to third class. Now he's just another number. Take a number. Mimeograph. Impersonal. <laughs> so the Rebbe says, I thought we were friends. I thought you were interested to know what I am into. So that's why I was sending you these letters. That's, that's what I'm about. That's, that's what I'm into. You want me to write a personal letter? I'll write you a personal letter. But that's not, you know, I thought we were real friends. Real friends. You want to know what I am and who I am and what I'm really into and what I'm really all about and what I'm excited about and what I'm into. This is the letter. This is what I'm about. This is, this, my whole self is contained in this letter. But the true me is contained in this letter. So the Alter Rebbe writes himself in his Tanya, he writes himself. So you want to enter into a private audience, you have the whole, the whole Rebbe is present, is here, and he's available and accessible. But uh, people wanted the, the Yechidus, and Alter Rebbe says it doesn't, it's not possible, he doesn't have the time, he's too busy. And this is the opening of this, of this letter, part two which the sons added to part one, Al-Dreb also starts out and says how busy he is. He doesn't even have time to write everything that's in his heart. So therefore, he's writing this letter to everyone, to all the Hasid. The best we can do. Maybe someone can figure it out. It's a <laughs> very tenuous connection. That would justify that making this part B a letter. Just make it a separate letter. Why, why do you have to attach it to, as a continuation of letter number 22? The two different letters written at two different times talked about two different themes. And even when they published it, they published it separately. They just added it on in a later edition later on. So is there an inner compelling reason why this is part two? I mean, a sequel has to be somehow, the theme has to be connected to the... Right? Most sequels are related Right? Most sequels better or worse than the first one? Worse. <laughs> worse? <laughs> but there are the exceptions. <laughs> so this is part two. Part two means uh, a sequel. So maybe, uh, maybe while we learn this letter, it will become evident what the connection is. Maybe the Alter Rebbe left some clue or revealed to us what the connection between these two letters are. Okay, so that's, that's a question. My beloved, my brethren and friends, in these terms, the Alter Rebbe addresses his Hasidim. So to him, the Hasidim are beloved, his brethren and his friends. Due to the immensity of my preoccupations, which altogether surround me and encircle me like water, all day and all night, never holding their peace, I am unable to unload the burden of writing down all that is in my heart. Briefly, however, I come as one who reminds and repeats earlier subjects in general, in particular to those of the people who offer themselves willingly in prayer beyond the customary measure, that they should stand steadfast in their divine service, prayer, 
which sages call service of the heart, a form of divine service which works in the heart and on the heart. And pray with a loud voice. He doesn't mean the Shmanesre, uh, a silent prayer has to be silent, but the rest of prayer should be with a voice, it should say it in a voice you can hear. And strengthening themselves vigorously with all their might and power against any internal or external obstacle, with a strong hand, plainly and simply. This service relates to the will of those who fear him. This transcends the wisdom and understanding with which Hashem imbued them so that they will know and do all that he commands, with intelligence and discernment. Wisdom and understanding are gifts from Hashem, as we say in the daily prayers. It is you who graciously bestows discernment upon man. As to the superior faculty of will, however, it is left to the initiative of every God-fearing Jew to arouse this within himself by accepting the yoke of heaven. Intellect, understanding, knowledge, that comes from Hashem. Hashem gives us those abilities. But the will is something that you have to want. Nobody can do it for you. You know, the t- our teachers in yeshiva used to give the analogy. You know, a chicken rolls, <laughs> rolls in the mud. Try cleaning the chicken. It's feathers picking off all the dust and all the dirt. You have a year and a half to get rid of every single... Take you forever. But if the chicken gives one shake, one split second, 100% clean. So when the chicken doesn't want to be clean, and if you have something, you have to pick through every each and every piece of dirt and each and every piece of dust. Take it forever, but if the chicken just gives one shake, God, that's the power of will. Will is something you have to want. Your teacher can't do it for you. Your parent can't do it for you. No one can do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. If you want, in one one moment, it's done. You want it, you give yourself a shake. I'm here. I'm present. But you have to want. That's the definition of will. Will is I want. It's my soul expressing itself. It's not a detail. I want so and so, but it's me directing myself, engaging myself and focusing and directing myself towards this. This is what I want now. This is what I'm doing and there's nothing in my path that's going to stop. That's why will is strong. He says with a strong hand. And he says will, you have to volunteer. It has to be you. You can't fudge it. It can't be something, you know. It, everything else you can, you can. It's more mechanical. You can do part. You can do half. You can fill your obligations. You know that's the difference between a, an employee and an employer. The owner and the, someone, someone who works could play it safe and do everything that's right. But he doesn't have to give of himself totally. But then, to own something, you have to own it. If, to make it happen, you've got to own it. It's an ownership society. You've got to own it, not just be a worker, not just be a... Because I'm not engaging my will. 
a capitalistic society. People, they want to train people, they want people to be motivated to be independent, to, to be rich, to be independent, to work for themselves, to, or to be a dependent person. Be a dependent, you do everything that's right, you follow the rules, you follow the laws, and someone else will take care of you. Versus a society of independent people, the goal is own your life, take charge of your life. No one is stopping you. But be fully engaged, be fully present, and do it 100%. And you own your life. Own your successes, own your failures. Do it. Now, that's a tremendous responsibility. To own your life. It's so much easier. I want to play it safe. I'll follow the rules, follow the laws. Someone else will take care of me. So I'd never have to really put myself on the line. I never have to risk anything. I have to put myself on the line. The same is with our service of Hashem. You can do everything that you're obligated to do. You're playing it safe. You're doing everything you're obligated to do, not more. You dive in exactly as it demanded in the code of Jewish law. You do exactly as expected of you. But that's not what Dr. Rebbe is talking about. Dr. Rebbe says, I'm looking for the volunteers, for those who are fully engaged, for those who are ready to own up, for those who are ready to take ownership, for those who are ready to put themselves 100% in. Putting 100% in, you're sitting and davening with a clock, a time watch. Okay, I punch in the card. It says in the code of Jewish law, I have to be here by, by 7.30, I'm here. I punch in the card. I'm done by some shuls by 7.25. <laughs> they finish before they start. Some shuls takes a little longer. Okay, 7.40, I'm out. You know, some have the express, some have the super express. I punch out the clock. I get paid. I'm in. I did exactly what the code of Jewish law expected of me. But everybody says, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about where's that strong hand? Where's that will? Where's that, will? Where's that volunt- voluntary, volunteer spirit? Where are you? Are you engaged? If davening is something that you own and it's yours, you're not punching, you're not punching in clocks, you're not, you're not putting time cards, you're in. Totally in. And that's something only you can do. No one can do that for you. Even God can do that for you. He gave us freedom of choice. It has to be your choice. You have to own it. This is what I want to do. And when we know when we want to do something, we do it. <laughs> and it gets done. And no one is looking at a clock. The owner of the company is not looking at a clock. He's not working nine to five. He's working nine to nine. <laughs> Five to five, twenty-four-seven, every day and weekends and holidays. He puts himself on the line. He's, to- he's all in. He's totally engaged. That's what Alter Rebbe is talking to. I'm talking to the Hasidim. I'm talking to my beloved. I'm talking to those who are who have volunteered, who have engaged their will, who are in it for real. This is who I am addressing to. I'm not addressing the clock punchers and the card, uh, you know, the card-carrying members. <laughs> I'm talking to those who are there. This, this Hashem can do for you. It's our choice. You want, you're in. You're all in. But it's God's will that you're doing, really. Of 
course it's God's will, but it's your will to do that. Strengthening the will? How, how does that go about? How do you go about it? It's, it's, you accept it. Yeah, as he says, accepting the yoke of heaven. By accepting, very good. By accepting the yoke of heaven, okay? Hanshiat Gizak. By accepting the yoke of heaven, it's something that you, right, you take in. But it's your choice. And if, because if you're doing it for, because someone else is telling you to do it, then, then you just, it's not in. You're just compartmentalizing again. It's just, okay, I'm a worker. I'm doing my, it's, a, it's an obligation. That's not you. Hashem wants you. Are you totally in? Are you in? Are you here? Are you present? If Hashem used to say where a person's will is, that's where he is. Entirely. You can have a child in school, in, in, in school, but he's looking out the window. He's daydreaming about this trip here. He's in the class, but he's not there. His will is elsewhere. You can have someone outside the class, but he's looking at the pain, he's trying, looking in, he's yearning to be in. You see, he's there. It's not where the body is. A person is at, it's not where your body is at, it's where your will is at. That's where a person really is at. So a person can go through the motions, mechanically and technically, he's doing everything kosher, he's doing everything that's right. But his will is not, his heart and will are not into it. So he's afraid to, to do, he's not going to do anything wrong, and you can't take him to court of law, you can't court martial him, he's doing everything that's right, but you know, he, he's not into it. He's, he's, you, know, you can't build anything with this individual. Yeah, he's doing everything that he has to, paying his taxes, but, but you know, this, is not, this is not for real. This is not a volunteer. This is not someone who's going to, you know, you can really build something. And that's what prayer is all about. The whole idea of prayer is not just to mouth the words. The whole idea of prayer is to achieve I love Hashem with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being, that you're all in. That Yiddishkeit is alive, that you're engaged, that you're fully engaged, that you're connected, that you're consciously connected. If that's the whole theme of davening, imagine you're davening just mechanically and by rote and mouthing the words, another obligation. It's like a joke. That's the whole davening is that Yiddishkeit is... I'm fully engaged and I'm focused. If it's just about an obligation to pray for your needs, that should be a five-minute affair. Okay, some people have a longer list, a ten-minute affair. Hello, Hashem, hello, this is what I need. Thank you, take care of it. Talk to you a little later. <laughs> Report to you a little later in the afternoon, see if you carried out any of my wishes. And uh, I think if I to move on, why do you have to spend an hour praying every day? Because prayer is not just about asking for your needs. Prayer is about you. Are you all in or are you not all in? Are you focused? Are you connected? Are you centered? Are you consciously connected? So that takes time to develop that relationship. To So this is the whole emphasis of Hasidism. From the Baal Shem Tev, And especially the Alter Rebbe, Chabad Hasid. This is where the whole Hasidism is. You have, this is the time to reflect. Take everything that you learn and think about it and meditate and reflect until it evokes some response, something stirs inside of us. A genuine shift, a genuine change, a genuine response, a feeling of centeredness, connection, focus, concentrate. 
So this is the Alter Rebbe says, I'm talking to my beloved, I'm talking to Chassidim, Chassidim who are donated, volunteered, who are all in, who have made that will, made that, accepted the yoke and jumped all in. This is who I'm addressing myself to. This is the definition of a chassid. We're talking about going beyond the letter of the law. We're not talking about obligation, our obligation. For that, you don't need chassidus. Chassidus is, are you present? Is your will here? Are you here? Hello? Is anybody home? You can go into many shuls and everyone is doing everything that they have to do, but there's nobody home. They're not all in. It's a road. It's mechanics. Okay, let's, let's. Next. <laughs> it's a factory. <laughs> do we have live Jews in the house? In the house? Is anyone here alive? Is anyone here for real? This... You're doing this for? You're doing this because you're doing it. 100%. That's sub- will. You're not subjugating your will when you're doing it. No, but that is will. Will can only be 100%. You can't, you can't, will by definition is 100%. When it comes to understanding, I can understand something 50%, 60%, 70%, 90%. And, it, and it's a genuine understanding. I understand some of it and some of it I don't understand. Will, there's no such thing. Either it is or it isn't. You are or you aren't. You're present or you're not present. I, you did what you wanted or you didn't do what I wanted. There's no percentages when it comes to will. Will is total. Will is all-encompassing that's what he says. The will of those who fear him. Will is beyond chachmas, beyond wisdom and understanding, which is a gift of Hashem. Will is something that can only come from within us. Because if you choose, then you're there. That's your will. That's you. Will is you. The whole you. There should be but a simple will, uncompounded by the particular form or limitations that characterize an intellectually generated will and a spirit of voluntary self-dedication. There is a will that derives from intellect. I understand, and therefore I want. But that's a limited will. That's a will that's lower than intellect. Here we're talking about a will that's higher than intellect. A will that commands the intellect. A will that's all-encompassing, that expresses you, the whole entire person. You're fully in and fully engaged. This is a will that's higher. And every man whose heart prompts him to serve a whole service, intending only to cause gratification to his maker. Of this super-rational degree of will, it is written, for this is a stiff-necked people, and you should pardon, i.e., because they are stiff-necked people. This obstinate and super-rational will of theirs warrants their being pardoned. The question is, a simple explanation is very difficult. Moshe is pleading with God to forgive the Jewish people after the sin of the golden calf. And he says, forgive them because they're, they're stiff-necked. That's a reason to forgive? You would think it's a reason not to forgive. That's why Hashem is having such heartache with us. Because we're so stiff-necked and impossible and stubborn. And Why is that a reason to forgive? So that's how the Rebbe explains. No, that is a reason to forgive. It's, actually, it's not a... It's a good attribute of the Jewish people. It's not a negative attribute. It's not Moshe's telling, pointing out how stiff-necked and how stubborn, how impossible the Jewish people are, like a child that's stiff-necked and stubborn. On the contrary, this is a positive quality of the Jewish people. This is a reason to forgive them. Because stiff-necked means, stubborn means, in a positive way. It's beyond the intellect. When you're so committed and so devoted and so dedicated that nothing could stop you. You're stubborn. 
and you're stiff-necked, and all the arguments in the world are not going to stop you once you make your decision to dive in and to commit to Hashem, you're not going to let anything stop you. You're not going to reason or argue. Because when it comes to reason, there's always a, another reason, that can, a counter-reason, a counter-argument. You're going to start to argue your way with evil. There's always another reason, a counter-argument. But once you make a decision that I am dedicated to Hashem and I'm going to serve Hashem and I'm going to do the will of Hashem, there's no argument in the world that's going to deter me. I am in and I'm dedicated and I'm committed all out, all the way, with a stubbornness. Nothing is going to stop me. So if someone comes to you and he has a position, even though he has a right position, but if it's only based on intellect, we can negotiate, we can compromise. I can see this side, you can see the other side. So if your whole devotion and dedication is based on rational and logical arguments, if your whole Yiddishkeit and your whole relationship to Hashem is based on logical, rational arguments, then it's very limited. It's limited to the strength of your argument, which could be weakened by a counter-argument. So even though you may decide to follow your argument, but nevertheless, it's affected. Your argument is affected by the counter-argument. Because you're operating in the world of intellect. The world of intellect, every intellectual idea has, there's room for that idea. So you have your idea, but the other side has another idea. And you have to respect that or their ideas. You have to respect their brilliance, you have to respect their mind, you have to respect their ideas, even though I disagree. But invariably their argument will have a cooling off effect on my dedication, on my devotion. There's my side, but I have to be realistic. There's a whole other side. There's a big world out there with philosophies and philosophers and ways of thinking that are not my side. So yes, I believe this is the right way, but everything with moderation. (laughs) Intellectuals like to be moderate. They're not going to go overboard. You have to approach everything with moderation. You know, yes. Enthusiasm, yes, but with moderation. Don't get carried away. The intellectual doesn't get carried away. Everything is with moderation. Being a stubborn people means there's no moderation. You dive all in. You're totally dedicated, totally devoted, and whatever you do, you do 100%. Not with one hand or two hands tied behind your back. You dive in totally. You're all in. So this is a position that transcends intellect. It's much deeper than intellect. It's more intense. Much more powerful. Because you're reaching into a place that reaches beyond the ego mind, the rational mind. You're reaching into a place that's much deeper than that. You're relating and you're connecting and you're devoting yourself to Hashem, to the infinite. And knowing that the mind is limited. The mind is limited. Only today do we know does even the mind acknowledge the limitations of the mind. So you know when it comes to Hashem, I can't approach Hashem in a compartmentalized, detached, moderate way can't be moderate. When it comes to Hashem, I have to be all out. Because Judaism is a marriage between the Jew and God. So a marriage is no moderation. 
can't be compartmentalized and cool and otherwise you're not going to be <laughs> you're not going to last long <coughs> with your spouse you have to be marriage has to be total marriage is all out marriage is you have to be completely enthusiastic and passionate and committed and dedicated and devoted and you have to be in you're in or you're out and if you want to approach marriage in a compartmentalized, detached, observer, in the UN you can have an observer status. <laughs> in relationships you can't have an observer status. A healthy relationship is you're all in. You're passionate. You're committed. You're 100% in without any reservation. You can't be intimate if you have any reservation. You can't be 99.9% present. You have to be 100% present. Same as with Hashem. For a Jew, my relationship to Hashem is, there's a stubbornness. I'm all in. There's no reservations, moderation, holding back. But you're an extremist. It's too intense. You're so smart. You're such an intellectual. For an intellectual like you, it's not nice. As the heretic, the non-Jewish heretic, meets, the Talmud says, meets Abaya. And Abaya was so focused on learning that he squeezed his, his toes and he was bleeding because he didn't, wasn't conscious of how... He was so concentrated on studying Torah. To him, studying Torah was so sacred and so divine and so holy that he completely lost himself and became so absorbed in the learning of Torah that he hurt himself while he was learning. And the, 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 this observer, this Gentile observer, with the great disdain says to Abaya, that's the problem with you Jews. He's such a people, such extremist that you said we will do before we will listen. For such a smart people like the Jewish people, first you have to listen, you have to hear what Hashem says. Surely everything in the Code of Jerusalem makes sense. Everything in Judaism is logical. Everything is rational. It's all based on healthy philosophical principles. And when it makes sense to you and you digest it and you understand it, then you agree to do it to dive in before you even heard anything and say we will do and then we will listen. And that's the way Abai was learning. He learned to study the complete loss of self-consciousness, completely absorbed, till he hurt himself. He says, for such a smart people, Abai is one of the sharpest brains that ever lived. When the Talmud wants to, this, uh, Abai epitomizes what the Talmud is all about. The sharpness of Abai. Abai and Ravu. For such a sharp brain, such a smart people. Yiddish guy should be moderate, relaxed, not so intense, don't get carried away, dampen your enthusiasm. Everything has to be approached with dignity, logically, respectfully. And I have an opinion, and the other person else has an opinion. I have to hear his opinion, I have to treat it respectfully. And even if I choose and decide his opinion is wrong, I still have to respect that opinion. But a Jew is not like that. We are stubborn people. Our relationship to God is not intellectual or cerebral. This is not a Judaism that's cerebral and philosophical, intellectual and detached. We're not observers. You can't be an observant Jew. To be a Jew, you've got to be all in. 100%. 1,000% dive in without any reservation. 
with enthusiasm and passion and romance and excitement and joy and intensity. All in. That's the reason that Moshe is giving to Hashem. You know why I wanted to forgive the Jewish people? Because look what a beautiful people they are. They are a stubborn people in the positive sense. Nothing could deter them. They're so, totally dedicated, totally devoted. They're not detached, they're not apart. No reasoning in the world and no arguments in the world could possibly deter them or diminish their enthusiasm because their relationship to you comes from a much deeper place than just the surface, the conscious level. It comes from the subconscious level. It comes from their soul, from their neshama. It comes from their, their kishkes, from their being, from the very fiber of their being and every bone in their body. That's why you should forgive them. Because that's what forgiveness is. Where does forgiveness come from? How can a person forgive? A person hurt me. He harmed me. He said terrible things. He did terrible things. What do you mean? How can I forgive him? Because forgiveness comes from a deeper place. Forgiveness comes from you, from you discover a much deeper place inside of you. You realize the relationship comes from a much deeper place. Your relationship, your connection is much deeper. So whatever happened, every ill will was created between you. Because something that was said or not said or wrongly said or stated or done or not done, you realize the relationship is much, much deeper. And once you, re- you connect on that level, all that goodwill, the depth of the relationship and the connection and the goodwill washes away all the negativity. So when a Jew shows Hashem, his dedication to Hashem, his total dedication to Hashem is expressed in being a stubborn and stiff-necked people. Which is why we've survived for 3,800 years. Because our ancestors were not observant, were not detached, were not cold, calculating observers. They were all in, thick and thin, through fire and water. Nothing in the world could deter them Detach them, nothing in the world could even diminish their enthusiasm, their passion to Hashem. When you, so this evokes from within Hashem also a likewise response. God is interactive. The way we, what we put in is exactly what, what, how Hashem responds. When we put our whole Nisham into it, our Kishkis into it, Hashem responds in kind. Hashem reveals the depth of our relationship, that core relationship which can survive anything and overcome all negativity and all sins and all... Even the sin of the golden calf is washed away once the depth of the relationship is revealed. That's what Moshe is arguing with Hashem. I'm creative. This is a stubborn, stiff-necked people. Look how deep the relationship and the connection is. This is not just superficial. This is not just... If the whole relationship is based on philosophy and religion and it's so superficial, yes then it could be diminished, and it could be challenged, and it could be blocked, obstructed, but it's much deeper. And that worked. And that's what caused, that was the effect, that effect that brought out Hashem's forgiveness for the Jewish people. This quality within the Jew evoked from within Hashem His forgiveness. That nothing would stand in the way between, in this, between the relationship between the Jew and Hashem. Nothing could stand in the way. Not even the sin of the Jewish people can stand in the way, and the worst sin can stand in the way of this relationship between the Jewish people and Hashem. And Hashem forgave them. Forgave them means it restored the relationship, restored the connection, restored the goodwill. We're back in God's good graces. The trust is back. The relationship is back. 
connection is back, and much deeper. For pardon, too, transcends wisdom. Just as a mortal's will flies free, untrammeled by his intellect, so too, above, the divine source of pardon transcends supernal wisdom. Thus, it is written, they asked wisdom what should be the lot of the soul that sinned. The attribute of wisdom ruled that a sinning soul must be judged and punished and did not allow for repentance and pardon. Because wisdom is limited. Wisdom, wisdom is very compartmentalized and wisdom is very limited. Wisdom says everything has to make sense. And logically, if a person sins, he has to be punished. And that is a logical position. If sin means something, if life is not a joke, if life is for real, are we playing games here? We're not playing games. If something is illegal, it's illegal. If something is wrong, it's wrong. And there has to be a consequence, and there has to be a punishment. If you're not going to be punished, you're making a mockery of the whole system. There is a system and there isn't a system. Are we playing games here or not? Or what? It's real or it's not real? You're saying this is good and this is evil. This is right and this is wrong. So, guilty, not guilty. So, there has to be a consequence. That's what wisdom demands. Wisdom demands there has to be punishment. And that is logical. That makes sense. But then there's something that's beyond wisdom. That wisdom doesn't understand can't understand. Something that's beyond wisdom. That will be done. That, that's the will. That's the soul. And once you touch that place, then you're right. Wisdom, you're right. Logically and rationally, this person should be punished. But I forgive him. <laughs> He's forgiven. Only Hashem said he should be forgiven. Wisdom demands punishment. But Hashem, who's beyond, transcends his wisdom, transcends wisdom. It reaches a place where wisdom doesn't add anything, doesn't take away anything. There's such a deep level where logic and rational and philosophy and reasoning, it doesn't add anything. It, it, it's so much deeper than that. On that level, sins could be forgiven. They could be forgiveness, genuine forgiveness. And that's what Moshe was trying to evoke within Hashem. Because from the position of reasoning, the Jewish people had to be punished. There was no way, no way about it. There was no other way. But such a treacherous sin, such a terrible sin, there had to be consequences. The most terrible consequences. But Moshe reached into a place that's even deeper than intellect. All the reasoning in the world can't sway doesn't sway and doesn't hold any force. It's much deeper than that. How did Moshe reach that place? By evoking the stubbornness of the Jew, which expresses the soul of the Jew, the will of the Jew, the, 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 the essence of the Jew. You evoke the will of the Jew, the total presence of the Jew, with the all-encompassing soul of the Jew, which is beyond our intellect, this evoked from within Hashem a likewise response of forgiveness, of goodwill, of washing away the sin, cleansing the sin. So to Moses, our masterpiece to him, invoke measure for measure. And suffice this to discern. Moses pleaded with that God forgiveness, grant forgiveness to the same extent that an individual repents with a simple will that 
transcends his understanding. He desired that man's repentance elicit and call down to this world the divine source of pardon, which likewise transcends supernal wisdom. What he's discussing here is a Jew's devotion, dedication to Hashem. Yes, 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 yes. And, Hashem, and when Hashem sees that a Jew is all in and that his connection is so deep and so profound, this evokes a response from Hashem. This evokes Hashem's forgiveness. That's it. Right. And Alter Rebbe said elsewhere, we already learned in the third part of Etanya, that a, once a person does tshuva, you should have faith that God had forgiven you and you should move on. You shouldn't wallow in sin. You shouldn't uh, beat yourself up. Yeah. Once you sincerely did the shuvah and we say in the davening, God forgives. So believe what you're saying. It's not a blessing in vain. God forgives and you better believe it. You said it. You made a blessing. You said Hashem's name. You're not allowed to say Hashem's name in vain. God's name in vain. So if you said God forgives... Believe it and move on. But don't sit and wallow and That's question. True. Once you, you sincerely do teshuva and surely Hashem has forgiven, then, then you can move on and celebrate your relationship with Hashem and, and be joyful and be positive and, be, and serve Hashem in a wholesome way. And he gave us this power of rationalization. This is like, uh, it's a puzzle. Why do, we have, why do we have this power? Well, the intellect is a very powerful, powerful tool, as long as you're not limited to the intellect. We're not same, anti-intellectual. Is that the same as, as, as uh, Yetzirah? No, no, no. Chabad is called Chabad, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. You must engage your mind. You have to engage your wisdom and every part of your mind, your wisdom, your understanding, your knowledge. Because that is your personality and your character. That is, you are, your intellect, your mind, the way you perceive things, the way you understand things. So you have to be, if you're all in, first and foremost, you've got to engage every part of you. If you suppress your mind and ignore your mind, you're not all in, with all due respect. How could you be all in, but my mind is out of the picture? My personality and character are not present. That's not all in. If you're all in, first and foremost, it begins with your mind. You have to completely engage and utilize, harness every part of your mind fully. Chachma, bina, the right brain, the left brain, the limbic brain, every part of you has to be fully realized and fully engaged. And your heart, and of course your thought, speech, and action, that's what all in means. So if it doesn't engage your individuality, it's not enough to say, I'm completely dedicated to God. I'm a servant of God. Whatever He wants, I do. What does it matter? I understand. I don't understand. I sense. I don't sense. I perceive. I don't perceive. It makes sense. I'm a servant, a simple servant. Whatever God wants, your wish is my command. I'm totally dedicated. That's, that's wonderful. But where's your mind? You left your brains at home? <laughs> that's how you're serving God? You're coming to the palace and you left your brains at home? That's not, you're not serving me. You're not all in. Whom are you kidding? You left your personality, your individuality, your talents, your perceptions, your, you left it at home. That's not part, that's not engaged. That's not part of the picture. It's a contradiction in terms. It never was one. 
So my engagement of the mind, that's why the Jewish people said, we will do and then we will listen. We will listen is just as critical as we will do. Why don't they stop? We will do. I'm your servant. Do I have to understand? The soldier has to understand. I have to obey orders. Just tell me what I need to do. My marching orders. Please tell me. Should I tie my shoes? How should I tie my shoes? I don't do anything on my own. I have no brains. You just, I'm just a simple servant. No, no, no. That's, that's not for real. That's not serious. If you're totally in, it must be followed by the nishma. Your brains have to be fully engaged. Your personality, individuality, every part of you, every fiber, every ability that you have, every talent has to be t- totally engaged. But the engagement of the mind comes from your total dedication. It's not an engagement that begins with the mind. That's the difference between philosophy and Hasidus. Philosophy is my whole relationship with God begins and ends with my mind. Whatever fits into my neat box, whatever makes sense to me, whatever my mind perceives and senses and understands and, and I, I feel comfortable with, I'm at peace with. Any part of Judaism that doesn't fit in my square, little, neat, little, tiny, little box and doesn't fit into my little, tiny brain, you know, I'm out of it. That's, I have to accommodate, I have to compromise, I have to cut corners. This is not a Yiddishkeit that I feel comfortable with. That's not Yiddishkeit. You have a relationship with yourself. You're not serving God. You're serving yourself. Self-serving. So the beginning, it begins with Nasa. We will do. Total dedication. And as a result of the total dedication, therefore, my mind is totally committed. And that allows my mind to understand and to perceive things that are even beyond the mind, that are even beyond the intellect. That the mind is open to perceive and sense the infinite, the godly, things that are totally... Be- it opens your mind. When a person, all he has is the mind, what you hear is the shutting of the mind, the closing of the mind. The person becomes very closed-minded. In the name of being open-minded, the person becomes completely shut down and becomes complete, very narrow and very closed-minded. But when a person is based on faith, based on Hashem, and based on the total dedication of Hashem, without reservation, what you're hearing is the opening of the mind, the expansion of the mind, the expansion, the person opens up, you start perceiving and sensing realities that are so beyond even the mind, and the mind starts absorbing it and receiving it and appreciating it. So you have to have that marriage between the intellect and faith. So we're not anti-intellectual. Intellect is a very powerful, powerful tool as long as it's based on faith. If it's unmoored, if it's disconnected from faith, then it becomes just rationalizations, excuses, and people come up with the most twisted philosophies. The Nazis came up with brilliant philosophies. That was their philosophy. And many philosophers, German philosophers, justified it and rationalized it and you know your mind could lead you so astray so far there's intellectuals today who are calling for the reduction of the human race to one billion people and they're not even ashamed to say it publicly all in the name of enlightenment and philosophy they're murderers monsters this is enlightenment 
every human being is, is causing global warming, more global warming than anything else. Trees are more important, of course. Animals are more important. So we've got to cut down the human race, the billions. This is the enlightened thing to do. I mean, the mind, you can become so twisted. You can become so evil. You can rationalize anything. And the more brilliant you are, the more you can rationalize. So an intellect that's unmoored and disconnected from its source, disconnected from Hashem, the source of intellect, as Maimonides says, that God is the pillar of all pillars. There's opening words of his magnum opus. God is the foundation of all foundations and the pillar of all wisdoms. Because when you remove the faith, you remove God, you end up without any wisdom. The wisdom becomes so twisted, so distorted, so upside down. Look at the, all the intellectuals today, the intelligentsia, how anti-Jewish they are, and anti-Israel, the Jew of the world. Twisted themselves into a pretzel to rationalize this blatant hatred and anti-Semitism. Calling Israel the worst country in the world and staying it with a straight face. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, how twisted do you have to be? How evil do you have to be? What a Nazi you have to be to even make such a statement. But all in the name of morality. In the name of, oh, we're the BDS. We stand for morality. We're here to those horrible, terrible Jews. It, 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 it's, the Nazis didn't claim to be moral. <laughs> What's so repugnant today is that you know, they, everyone has to be moral today in the name of morality. Everything is in the name of morality. This is a twisted mind. This is a twisted human being. It's so twisted because there's no faith. There's no God. There's no humility. There's no truth. There's no, nothing objective by which to measure yourself. Am I in the right path? Am I in the wrong path? Your mind can lead you so astray. It's scary. Because there's no foundation. There's no pillar. There's no foundation. There's nothing. Completely unmoored. All you're left with is chaos. Degeneration. Parading in the name of morality. Corruption. Decadence. Evil. All parading in the name of morality. It's like the pig that shows its hoof. The hoof is kosher. The pig is the only animal in the world that's hoof is kosher. It has one kosher sign. It has split hoofs, but it doesn't chew its cut. So internally it's a chazer, it's a pig. But it, it shows the whole world. It stretches out its hoof. Look, I have a kosher sign. Because it's, it's, that, that's represented by the zeitgeist of today, the fakery. Presenting itself as being kosher when it's a complete con, it's a complete fraud. You're evil. You're a Nazi. Say that you're a Nazi. At least the Iranians are honest. We want to kill Israel. We want to destroy Israel. Okay, we can deal with it. Only America pretend. Only the intellectuals in America pretend that the Iran has become our buddy, and we're giving them a blank check of 150 billion dollars, and this is legacies, and this is this is breakthroughs, and created peace, I mean, how twisted the mind could be. But all in the name of peace. This is a breakthrough. This is a good thing. This is the contribution of our generation. You know, people are always evil. But they never paraded themselves, never passed themselves on as good people. I'm evil and I, this is who I am. 
at least there's some sense of honesty here. here. Everything today is completely dishonest. Every degenerate philosophy now becomes a moral crusade. <laughs> Every degenerate lifestyle now becomes a moral crusade. No, it's a marriage. It's, 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 it's holy. It's sacred. You want to live like a chaza? Live like a chaza. It's a free country. Why do you need the sanctity of marriage? It's so twisted. So this is what happens when you disconnect intellect from faith. You rationalize. And the world comes upside down. Completely upside down. You live in an upside down universe. Down is up and up is down and left is right and right is left and war is peace and peace is war. Uh, the Jews are the worst people in the world. And I mean, it, it, it's just it's this make-believe universe. That's what happens. That's the rationalization. Then intellect becomes... something negative. But we are not anti-intellectual. We are Chabad. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Even the worst anti-Semite, no one accuses the Jews of being a foolish people. We prize intellect. But a healthy intellect based on a healthy faith, faith that's grounded in truth, grounded in an absolute truth. It's a faith that keeps the intellect honest and opens the mind and expands the mind. And then the intellect becomes beneficial, wholesome and productive. Then we become partners with God in creation, utilizing all our God-given talents and abilities. He said God gave us these talents and abilities, wisdom, understanding and knowledge. Where then, if it's based on faith, we become partners with God. Look how beneficial Israel is to the world. Look how much benefit, how much good, how much they contribute to the world. Versus our enemies. All they've contributed is terrorism, drugs, and oil that was given to them as a gift. But when a person denies God and plays God, and says, I am God, and I'll choose and decide what's right and wrong, and there's nothing objective to keep me honest, there's nothing real. When we start playing God, all we do is bring darkness, we wreak havoc, wreak destruction. Crooked ideas, distorted ideas, and ideas have consequences. Negative ideas have very terrible consequences. And we are living through those consequences. Because a crooked idea leads to very crooked, distorted results, harmful results. So it's not innocent. When you disconnect the intellect from faith, we have what we have today. <laughs> it's pretty sad. But when the intellect is grounded in faith, then you have a wholesome world, then you have a wholesome human being, and you have a wholesome lifestyle, and you have a wholesome... We become partners with Hashem in creation, and we develop the world, and we enhance, and we bring light to the world, and we bring goodness to the world, and kindness to the world, truth to the world. And the choice is ours. To 
our choice. Even God can make that choice for us. He gives us all the tools. Gives us all the abilities. Gave us the, gives us the gift of the Torah. And He has confidence in us that we're going to have the wisdom to distinguish between junk food, junk lifestyle, and the real deal. The Torah. The Jewish way of life. 100%. Fully embrace the Torah. Fully embrace the truth. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.